Hello, everyone. This is Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger. I am a religion recovery coach who helps people with life after religion. And this podcast allows people to share their stories of abuse and religious trauma in various religions and cults. Some guests come on the show to discuss specific topics to educate and bring awareness. Discussions will range from purity culture, mental health, religious trauma, Christian culture, deconstruction, spirituality, and much more. Now, let's get into this episode of Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger. Hello, everyone. This is Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger, and I am super excited to have Mary Burkhardt on the show today. She is a religious trauma life coach, and she desires to help people who are walking away from religion and questioning their faith. She decided to walk away from religion, and she processed this alone, and it nearly cost her life. She desires to guide and help others through this process. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Mary. No problem. Thank you for having me. Oh, yes, of course. I always love having these types of conversations. And for people who are listening and who are wondering about my voice change, allergies are <laughs> they're coming back. <laughs> my voice is much deeper than it usually is. So that's why I just want to <laughs> let people know that. <laughs> and today I want to get into the interview and kind of start at the beginning. So what was your childhood like regarding religion or like when did religion first have an influence on your life oh i was born in it baby same (laughs) (laughs) i was born into the apostolic faith my mom she was in it since she was 12 and it has completely shaped her reality which has in turn shaped her children and we were brought up in very strict no tv no don't you can't watch music videos no makeup but with that restriction also came a lot of the classic toxicity and poisonous Mm -hmm. religious tactics and things like manipulation a lot of trauma that Mm -hmm. was swept under the rug a lot of we'll handle it ourselves Mm you know we don't involve other people uh, the black demographic it's it's always been what happens in this house stays in this house and so it's a lot of and, and i want to preface i'm gonna go back really quick because i'm gonna mm-hmm. say that i didn't have a horrible childhood right mm-hmm. um, i had a good childhood on the whole, my mom loved us very much. And it took me a long time during my deconstruction to to understand that parents nine times, eight, maybe eight times out of 10 (laughs) are just doing Mm -hmm. what they know to do. They're Mm -hmm. doing their best. And to this day, I have a great relationship with my mom. She's still very Mm -hmm. religious. We respect each other for those differences. So I didn't have, I wasn't abused in my home. Mm I was abused in my home, but not by my 
immediate family. Um, and it was, my mom always made sure we didn't go without. She worked very hard. She took care mm -hmm. of us. She did everything that she was right. And one of the things that I will always respect her for is that to this day, she will say, I know that everything I did was not right. Mm -hmm. She's absolutely owned up to it. But growing up under religion, I started going to church uh, immediately. Like I said, I came oh, home yes. and my mm -hmm. mom was already in it. I was very serious about religion at a young age. I remember standing up in church, giving testimonies when I was five, six, and everybody thought it was the sweetest thing. And then when I was sexually abused, I didn't say anything about it because obviously it's my fault. Wow. And uh, we were ostracized by our church. Mm. And we were, now I don't want to say we're excommunicated, but we were definitely, mm. I was called a liar. Oh, I was, no. you know, I was put out and anyway, that ended up leading to my mom mm. for a while there. We didn't go to church at all. And in my late teens, she started going back to church and I followed. So yeah. I was serious, very serious about it up until I was in my mid twenties. When you grow up in religion, there are things that when you're in it, you might not recognize that talk that is toxic, but then when you get out and you do personal work or go to therapy you see a lot of things what toxic things looking back did you notice or realize once you left oh hoo -hoo. <laughs> um, <laughs> you're like uh, <laughs> let, <laughs> let me start <laughs> i gotta do i actually kind of talk about this a little bit a good bit on my instagram i have a lot of posts and just about those toxic traits that we we exhibit and we don't even realize it. One of them no. is like positivity. In oh, church, we are yes. we are so taught to look at every situation that has silver lining. It could be worse. And it's it's so toxic because you start to habituate not dealing with things. You mm -hmm. start to take on that, okay, I just won't look at it. I'm just mm -hmm. gonna keep looking at God, keep my eyes on the prize, keep yeah. striving for the mark. And God is good anyway. That spills over, right, into everything, mm. into work. We stay on jobs that we hate and relationships with people we can't stand, people who are treating us horrible because of that toxic positivity. We always say, yeah. you know what, it'll be all right. It'll, be, it'll get better. And I think that's probably one of the biggest mm. toxic traits that mm. I, I notice across the board. It doesn't matter what religion yeah. it is. It's that toxic positivity and mostly in abrahamic religions is yes. we forced to because because god is greater and who are we to complain yeah. so yeah. it's horrible when mm. you look back and how yeah. cringy i've never actually dealt with this before i never had i had to look away a lot when you're deconstructing that's definitely one of the things that you start to face because you start mm. to feel like okay i'm upset this has bothered me. I'm tired of looking at the silver lining, so to speak. When you're deconstructing that cognitive dissonance, that's mm. not easy no. to look away from. It's hard mm. to find a silver lining in that, especially for somebody like me, who I completely have no belief in a God. Mm -hmm. um, it was tough because I'm like, where, 
what's positive now? How do I look at the positive now? God was always the one that gave me all of this, provided me with what I needed. Now what's positive? Who who mm. does that? So that was a great mm. question. I think you're most definitely right about the toxic positivity in Abrahamic religions because there was one guest I had on recently and she was on the Preacher's Boys podcast and she was talking about toxic positivity and all these cliche phrases that are thrown at you like, oh, think of oh, Jesus died on the cross for you. You're yes. going to heaven, you've turned life, so you shouldn't be grateful for anything. And I think really what it's called is like spiritual bypassing. It's using spirituality or like these phrases or using religion to not deal with deeper issues. And right. those phrases are nice, but they're not getting at the core of the issue. They're just sliding it under Absolutely. the rug and no change is actually happening. It's interesting because re religion, they give you the problem and they give you the solution, but the solution doesn't really work. It's funny you say that because, and when you were explaining about Asami, it was, yeah. it brought up for me a big, something big that I, I have a passion for, which is mixed when it comes to religion and how religion plays a huge part in the classes mm. and manipulates people into being content with their status. Yes. Okay. You mm. store up your treasures in heaven, right? God will provide mm -hmm. and you yeah. just give your 10%. You do what you need to do. Mm. You have your offering and you have literally, I was one of these people who were sitting there trying to decide whether to pay a light bill yes. or to oh, no. give tithes and offerings. Oh no. I mean, it's miserable. That toxic positivity that feeds mm. right on into that. And yeah. they say, oh, God's going to provide for me. He'll make a way. Mm -hmm. Go pay your light bill. Yeah. Buy your groceries. Yes. Do. And it, I've I always felt like religion, when it comes to, especially the churches, just seeing how much money mm. they take from people. And yes. it mm. is just, when you're in it, you don't see it because you're looking yeah. to these trusted individuals mm -hmm. and yeah. authority figures in your life. And you're saying, I trust them. I don't mm -hmm. believe that they would do me wrong. But all the while, especially in these ridiculous mega churches that we yes. have they're flaunting yes. in front of you oh, oh and i know expecting you to continue to just ignore it it's it is one of the most disgusting displays i feel yeah. like you know how yeah. i don't know if you may have saw <laughs> i say you might be a little too young but <laughs> this there was a documentary a few years ago and they had started cracking down on the mega churches and mm. auditing them and asking them, why do you need a jet? <laughs> why do you need a $10 million home in three states? <laughs> why do you need this stuff? And, oh, I got to get to where the Lord needs me to go. But really? <laughs> and you can't do that on a regular plane? Mm. And it's insane. But the opulence mm. that is completely just shoved in people's faces in the religious community mm. and it's twofold for me in my mind it's one it's to give people something to strive for especially to talk about like Joel Osteen or Osteen however you pronounce it. I was thinking yeah. that too I, yeah. <laughs> he's the first person I thought of when you say flaunting yeah. <laughs> yes 
because <laughs> he has that what they call prosperity gospel and yeah. it, but it gives people hope and it yes. keeps them pouring in because like i can reach that i can, I can be that. like him i can yes. like, he's the ultimate example and what they really don't know is that it takes a lot of scheming and underhandedness to be that honestly it's, he's telling you it takes yeah. prayer yeah. <laughs> if prayer got that everybody would be praying growing up i did read a couple of his books because i was really attracted to it because i noticed how he incorporated some new agey things into Christianity of the like to me he called it a different thing but i'm like oh this is the law of attraction that's taught in new age stuff this is what right. you're doing manifestation like, Absolutely. manifestation so i'm like this is interesting and you're using christianity <laughs> to yes. different labels to take money from people andrew it, christianity appropriates so much on its own right yes it does it, it appropriates witchcraft and sorcery yeah. that doesn't yeah. surprise me at all that is something that has blown my mind as I've gotten out is seeing how much it has taken from other religions and how it tries to pretend it's so original. Yes, 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 <laughs> all day, 100%. And you can't tell them that though, right? No. And you grew up in it, you escaped out of it. Yeah. You know that when you were in it, I'm sure you just like everybody else who's gotten out, myself included, you have these moments where you look back because you see the people around you and you're like, oh my gosh, you guys are just so blind. And then <laughs> you look back and you're like, damn, that was me too. <laughs> like I you know. couldn't tell me anything. Like I was, I was gung ho. I was all about it. I had my breastplate on. I had the arm, full armor of God. And mm. I was preaching the word and it was impossible sometimes mm. to really get, but that's the psychology behind it. That is, those yeah. are the tactics. That's how they, they get you to become mm -hmm. so devout and so yes. dedicated. And you can't tell me anything because I've experienced this. But the um, more that, the more doubt that I had and the more questions that started to come up, the more dis mm. distance and dissonance that started to happen, no one could answer my questions. And no one could really get to the core of what I'm what I was feeling mm -hmm. and so when I since stepping away and deconstructing it's so amazing to really reflect and understand how much influence our emotions have mm -hmm. on all the choices that we mm -hmm. make it's not a logical game that they play mm -hmm. at all no not at all. And that's the incredible thing to me is that but I, I'm sure you've experienced this of like when you leave toxic religion, people accuse of I've experienced this and I'm sure you have too of people accusing you of following your feelings of you're just following your emotions. Mm -hmm. But then they're like, Oh, I know this is true because I feel the Holy Spirit. It's <laughs> such a hypocritical <laughs> logic or lack thereof, rather. It's a hypocritical yes. train of thought. You're just you just, you, you didn't pray hard enough. You're just following your emotions. Mm. You're just being emotional because you, but then mm. every piece of quote unquote evidence, yeah. all anecdotal and yeah. originates in emotion. Mm. Just looking back on so much of the emotional manipulation, especially I grew up in the IFB cult and mm. in that environment at the end of every single service, 
there would be super emotional piano music in an organ playing <laughs> and the pastor would be in the pulpit just talking in this certain tone and cadence <laughs> it would just be it was mixed with a bit of shame guilt and some a little bit like a feeling of hope too at times <laughs> and it was just so emotionally manipulative and the pastor would say, oh, I feel the Holy Spirit. People would start going forward and then more. And as I've learned and dug into psychology is that we observe, we learn by observing. We automatically conform to fit in. And I felt so much peer pressure, especially at youth conferences. Oh my gosh, yes. To go to the altar when everyone else is walking away and you're alone in the pew. That peer <laughs> pressure that you're going to go and you're going to pretend to weep, you're going to pretend to cry, you're going to pretend you're committing your life because you want to fit in, you want to be loved and accepted, you want to be seen as a yes. part of the group. That's um, by design. Yes. And you don't realize that. Mm. You just feel like, damn, I'm just a sinner. I'm just staying here. I gotta get yeah. out. So I gotta shame. be here. And, oh man, you, you just brought up so much for me. Because oh no. <laughs> No, with the with the services and the oh, music yeah. and stuff, and Ooh. that is another thing that like I, I I talk to my clients about too. Is music is powerful, whether you're in church or whether you're at a concert. It doesn't yeah. matter. In and out of religion, yeah. music is. If you ever notice in church, music mm. is always used yeah. to set a tone. Mm. It's used in that. I hate to say it again, but that manipulative way. Yeah. Listen, when it was time for prayer, it's always low. It's always, mm. like you said, that they're speaking in cadence. Mm. They are, it's very guilt driven. You, know? mm. oh, you yes. could have died this week. You oh my you know, gosh. So yes. You, got, you have so much to give thanks for. And then mm. when it's time for offering, it's always <laughs> upbeat. Mm. And, and so it, it's not an accident kind of what I try to help people to understand and this is just in in regular conversation when it comes to my clients I don't ever try to steer anyone away from religion that's a decision you have to come to for yourself yeah. if you truly want to talk about it if you truly yeah. want to look at the situation for what it is then let's talk about it it, it is a system set up and it is a business. You mentioned how things are set up and how it works. I always say it's one of the best business models because you invest and you mm. don't get your reward until you're dead. It's so ridiculous thinking about it. And it's, it's such a scam. Oh my. It's like finding out you're <laughs> part of a Ponzi scheme, right? Because yes. you're like, oh shit. Like, wait a minute. You don't get your reward until you're dead. And then anybody who's gone before you can't come back and tell you, no. hey, it was a scam. <laughs> so you're just kind of feeding into it. And unfortunately, that aspect of it is exactly what religion plays on, is that mm. they're, they, it can't be, quote unquote, disproved because, mm -hmm. but it can't be proven either. And yeah, so in the air, it's like you, mm, yeah, yeah hate it so just, much. Invest, invest all your time because again you know they have that um the pascal's wager you know what if you do all of this and it's wrong what yeah if you do all, what if you go your whole life and then you know uh, you don't live right and then you find out there is a god what if you do and you find out there isn't 
Oh. Just as much a, a risk or a gamble, so to speak, when you're talking yeah. from an emotional standpoint. We're yeah. not even talking about all of the physical evidence or the lack thereof. Yeah, just going from an emotional standpoint, mm. as much of a gamble as it is yeah. from one side as it is the other. I I attended a Christian college for three and a half years. It was Bob Jones University, and uh, I remember this awful apologetic class that was required of every student to take, and. Of course, Pascal's wager was a part of it. And it's interesting to me. And I'm like, what if Mormonism is right? What is Islam is right? They're assuming that they're right in that argument. And it's okay. Well, if you find out that another religion got it right and you didn't, then what are you going to do? So it automatically had that assumption that they were the right way anyways. Yes. And it's an argument I've heard so many times from Christians and my own parents. And for me, I love this quote by Carl Sagan. It's, I don't want to believe, I want to know. And for me, I have no idea. It's possible there's an afterlife. You can't prove or disprove it. It's just up in the air. Um, And so for me, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to live the best life that I can here now because I know I don't know when I'm going to die. No one knows when they're going to die, but I'm, I know I'm alive. <laughs> I'm going to use my life to make a difference in the way that I see fit and purpose that I find that I choose. No one is going to tell me what my purpose is or right. where I should be, how I should act. Growing up, there was so much pressure to go into the ministry and the IFB cults. And I definitely noticed the people who committed their lives to the ministry were treated much better. Mm-hmm. Who was honest is like, I know I'm not gonna be in the full time ministry. I could just I could sense the judgment, and I'm like, what the fuck? Are you serious? <laughs> and that's the thing with cultic groups is that their purpose is to get as many converts as possible and to get mm-hmm. people to push and push their religion. And my church, we would do it through soul winning. That's what they called it. Just going out in the community, giving people tracts, telling them that they're going to hell if they don't conform to our religion and that they should come to our church, <laughs> basically. <laughs> it's so cringy when you think back. <laughs> One, you touched on about the ministry judgment. That I thought that, that was <laughs> spot on. Yeah. And that other religions, like, like you said, when you started to question, you're like, I asked this question since I was young, like, how do we know that our God is right? Why yeah. do, Why are they so sure? They seem to be as sure as we are that, that their God is the right one. And so how do mm-hmm. we know? And I remember when I was an adult, a young adult going to, to church, and we had the young adults Bible study and a young adults Sunday school, and it was taught by the pastor's wife. And uh, I remember her exact words. She was like, we're the only church who has the truth. Uh-huh. Oh, that's she so cool. She actually said that. <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. Because I remember they were very tight about who they allowed to go out into the community mm. and oh. create churches. So mm. they didn't, they wouldn't approve a lot of people it was about growing that particular church mm. and then some of their sister churches it wasn't about oh we're trying to really raise people up to send them out no they were like we're trying to grow right here and it was 
it was a decent sized church already. So that, that was always interesting to me. But uh, one of the, I think the bigger things you hit when you mentioned going to camp, attention and mm. the aim at children yes. is mm. so horrible. Religion. Mm. The indoctrination, yes, yeah. obviously, if you're born in it, you're going to be indoctrinated into yes. it. Unfortunately, there's just no getting around. But when even you're in the church and the way that the children are taught to believe, mm-hmm. and especially in, in, in the apostolic faith, we are the foot stomping, Holy Ghost rolling. Yeah. I know of other religions who are the Baptists, especially Southern Baptists, but apostolic, the way I grew up, people could always point me out. I would be mm-hmm. out somewhere. Yeah. They're like, you're holiness, aren't you? I'm like, yep. Skirt below the knees, <laughs> probably some sneakers on, plain shirt, mm-hmm. you know, no makeup, no earrings. Obviously, yeah. I don't look like that now. It's really sad because what religion does is it strips away your identity. And it's all about conformity. Mm-hmm. When you mentioned having to sit in the pew and watch other people go up and the mm. pressure that you felt to get up and be a part of that. But if that phenomena, instead of being viewed for what it is, which is a psychological current, not a supernatural occurrence, mm. yeah. be conflated to be a mm. supernatural occurrence. And people will say, oh, look at God. God's moving. <laughs> and unfortunately, us not knowing any better, we're giving into that. Yes. And it's only perpetuating the toxicity. Yeah. The emotional manipulation that happens in these services, like you were saying, you're told, oh, yeah, this is the Holy Spirit. This is God. And you're not really, I guess, a lot of these phrases, I think they're called like thought terminating cliches. There are phrases that mm-hmm. are used to stop you from critically thinking and questioning. Yeah which is just so frustrating when you ask questions like you hear things like oh only god can know or oh we'll mm-hmm. only know we'll only know when we die See? <laughs> and yes. the, i remember i had phil drysdale on the show several episodes back and oh my gosh i love talking about deconstruction with him and what he talked about was that a lot of people who are deconstructing they are not satisfied with the answers that the churches or their environment are giving them. They're like, no, Mm -hmm. I'm not buying into that. There's Mm -hmm. to be something else, a better answer, a better explanation, or maybe this is just complete bullshit completely. And Or an answer at all. That's true. They don't. Sometimes you don't get any answer. (laughs) No, it's just the answer is we don't have one and you just have to wait till you die. So you die. Whether they love the same church, you'll understand it better by and by. That means when you die. That means that when you you get to heaven you'll understand it i remember one of my mentors from bob jones university being like like there are some things in the bible like we're i'm just gonna have to ask god on his throne after i die and i'm just sitting there trying so hard not to laugh because i'm like oh my gosh sis like that's not gonna happen no (laughs) you can believe that all you want and technically we can't prove or disprove it it's but it's tragic it's tragic it makes you think of the the flying spaghetti monster a flying yes. spaghetti monster it could yeah. exist somewhere out there it could <laughs> and i've always felt like i believe in I feel like energy 
we're, we're energy, the universe uh, is energy, right? Yeah. I don't know what happens to energy when we die. Maybe we give it I back, whatever. Um, it can't be created or destroyed is what they say in physics. And yes. so could there be something else out there bigger than us? Absolutely. What mm -hmm. I do not believe is that it is anything written in a book. No. It's nothing like what is written in a book. No. And if it if there is something else out there that is bigger than us, it is cracking up and laughing its ass off at <laughs> our concepts of what it could be. As I deconstructed to read lots of different psychologists, scientists, and different people mm -hmm. they think be going on or what's going to happen and it's interesting that you brought up the energy thing because that's something i've thought of too i'm like okay if energy can't be destroyed i'm like what's going to happen and as i logically thought about hell i was like we can't feel anything without our bodies uh, our right. nerves that go to our mm -hmm. brain and i was like right. it doesn't make sense that we would suffer in hell because then if this god exists he would have to like make sure that our body is preserved and somehow ship mm -hmm. it to heaven and then make it back to life there's yeah. all this extra hard work involved listen like soul torment never made any sense to no, me right doesn't. because we only know pain in our physical being and uh, so how does uh -huh. how does the soul feel what is yeah. that then when i was i remember being younger and i asked my mom i was just figuring out the whole bible story thing i think i was yeah. about eight or nine and she was like Jesus died for your sins and uh, and I'm like okay but I didn't ask him to if you mm -hmm. don't serve him if you don't live live your life as best yeah. as you can then you'll go to hell and then it's eternal torment and uh. damnation and, and I'm like okay <laughs> so it just it never was sit right with me and I asked her I was like if can God make us perfect just like little childlike questions Ooh. I asked. But as even as I, I deconstructed, I, I think back on those and I'm like, those questions, I still have to this day. I think one of the parallels, especially under Abrahamic religion, is the irrational fear of hell that we mm. keep when we leave religion. Mm -hmm. And so the soul torture, mm. how do you torture a soul? I guess this all-knowing God would know that. But he neglected to share that with us. <laughs> <laughs> the whole thing that it makes sense to me of, oh, Jesus died for you. It, um, it's kind of to me like I've seen this online, the analogy of a person starting a fire in a building. And then a person saves everyone from the fire. And it's like, all right, I saved you. You dedicate dedicate your life to me. Then it's like, you yeah. started a fire. This doesn't make right. any sense. You're son <laughs> of a bitch. Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure people listening to this will understand when I say that as you are taught in the church, it is very segmented, right? You don't yes. get the whole story. No. You get bits and pieces of it. They give you a scripture or two. They break it down. They translate it the way that they want to translate it, interpret it the way that they want to interpret it, apply context, and then give you a reason to be grateful. That is the, mm -hmm. That's the formula. We deconstruct and we look back, we start to reflect. And you start to see that whole picture. Like, wait a minute. Wait, wait mm. a fucking minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> God created all of this. And then he didn't get it right for some reason yeah. because he, he's perfect. He didn't get it right. Then he had to destroy it all, mm. create it again, sleep with his mom. Yeah. 
have himself die for <laughs> us come back it's like wait it just it starts mm-hmm. to really show how much it doesn't add up mm-hmm. and but you don't get that kind of mm-hmm. teaching when you are under religion mm-hmm. when yeah. you're in church it's they mm-hmm. it, and it's for a reason there are reasons that you have longtime pastors who are deconstructing now yes. because they they even say I, I couldn't teach it anymore i don't i couldn't pretend like i knew mm. anymore yes and i think for me as i've been deconstructing one thing that i really thought about i was like there was i think there's like a verse in the bible that to know how to do good and to still do evil just something about mm-hmm. that and i'm like mm-hmm. hey god's all-knowing and he chooses all of this evil, <laughs> really. And just the whole creating of Satan didn't make yes. sense. And it's, oh, okay, so God knew that he was going to, he created these people and he knew he was going to send them to hell. Like, it's all been yes. his, huh, wow. Yeah. That's just totally, as I've deconstructed, like, that just is so diabolical. And Isn't that hypocritical, right? Yes. So we have the scripture. I know the scripture you're talking about. And you mm-hmm. are instructed to be yes evil but as a human being we might still choose to do that evil but we're instructed to be christ-like and strive Mm. to be god-like and i feel like fucking shit up is (laughs) (laughs) god-like radical jesus yeah yeah, flipping the tables i have such a horrible mouth i'm sorry i love it no it's fine they know that (laughs) (laughs) i'm just but i'm just very real i love it i'm not gonna sugarcoat things and Mm -hmm. i love to talk to people in ways that they Mm. will just get it you talked about christianity borrowing from things the old testament is not christian no (laughs) it's it's not completely it's jewish Jewish. they don't and even to this day jewish people don't believe in hell so that's why it's not in there that's interesting and so that's the curious thing to me too growing up in the ifb was that they would try to explain they tried to say that the old testament was still for christian which didn't make sense to me and i was like they're like they're like the old testament is to the jews or but it's still for us. For us, yes. Same. That's, yep, that's you got that too. It was the, it was when Jesus was born, he fulfilled, and he when he died, rather, he fulfilled the Old yeah. Testament. Because mm. no one was able to live perfect under the law. So he had to come <laughs> and live perfect under the law. Yeah. He died, he fulfilled the law. So now the yeah. law is written on our hearts. I swear yeah. I got it. Oh, that's got perfect. It. You got it. And like, for me, looking back, I'm like, they're just making this shit up as they're going along. <laughs> they're just like, what? Like, how do I make sense of the Old Testament? And how do I create a new book to <laughs> manipulate people? Oh, my gosh. I've started digging a lot into mythology and religion, which is just a totally different. It's the exact opposite of what I was taught, because growing up, I was taught a literalist interpretation of the king james version of the bible is like the only right way <laughs> to do it and it's the ifb's interpretation yes. um, yes. that i grew up in and so now as i'm going back and i'm learning about all these stories that i've been told before the bible and in other cultures over and over again i'm like i guess you would say i'm still trying to find i guess you would say okay 
what can we learn from this? There's a reason this is being retold over and over again. Many people have different interpretations. And that's the great thing about mythology is that it's not black and white. It's not one specific. And that's why literalists and fundamentalist Christians and all these people who say that approach really hate that because it's not mythology is uncertain because there are different right. ways you can interpret it. And like Carl Jung and then Joseph Campbell, they both done, they've done a great job on like, dissecting and digging into mythology but there is a book like i highly recommend for anyone but it's carl young on christianity he looks at it from a mythological perspective of like how stories have been told over and over again and what this possibly might mean psychologically and just right. forgetting that literalist approach that historical approach um, and trying to get meaning in a different way and it's been interesting to me because it lifts that pressure of conformity, of seeing, having to see things one way, of being yeah. able to open up my mind and critically think about it from different perspectives. And just being like, you know what? I'm like, we story, seeing religion really as stories that human beings have written down to try to make sense of the world and cope with the hardships of life. That's it. Really. That's it. I always say, imagine the first man, right? If there's species of man walking mm. around and then white shit starts to fall from the sky it's no they don't have a word for that it's magic at this point right if uh -huh. if lightning is crashing if the waves are so high there has to be an explanation for that we seek yeah. that we yes. seek something higher to explain mm. those things and so it is man's way of coping uh -huh. <laughs> i always say that religion is man's way of coping mm. with the harsh realities of life. Yes. It gives mm. hope, yes. And it and if it was possible for there to only live for people to only live the beautiful parts of it, the giving and yeah. the loving and the mm. brotherly love, and if that was possible, yeah. maybe fine. But it is so toxic and you can yeah. still do those things mm -hmm. without religion. And you talk about seeing things and, and using mythology, which is amazing. Mm -hmm. I love mythology. Yes. And they, I think man overall has it, it largely, we've been polygamous. Religion pretty much, there's probably always been a toxic element to it, but yeah. I'm pretty sure it became most toxic as we became monotheistic. What the gods were in Greek mythology, Roman yeah. mythology, they were aspects of our personality aspects yes. of our humanity yes. and so we could relate to those things better it was projection of things that were going on internally and projecting right. it onto stories and characters and onto the world you're personifying in these, these characters yeah yes. exactly and so and we became monotheistic and ruined everything yes <laughs> <laughs> what were some of the major other major things that you were really deconstructing some of the major things that I was deconstructing or my, my self-worth, my, I think we always struggle with our value. When you are in the church, you suffer together, you mm. recover together, you fellowship. And then when you leave, you're instantly alone. What the void was inside of me. Mm. It, and it was that sense of community and having a place 
having people who shared my plight, having people who could understand in religion, especially Christianity, the rejection of the world is a unifying thing. You go out, you preach the gospel, you try Mm -hmm. to win souls, and then you're rejected. It's always going to happen because there are people who don't want it, obviously. And, but you come back to that safe space and that's validated. Mm. And I did not have that. And so I had to deconstruct that. My, my deconstruction, it took me to a place where I almost took my life. Oh no. Yeah. And I was, it was just a very dark Mm. and horrible time. I, on the outside, you couldn't tell. It's usually mm. how it goes. Mm. That you can't tell. There's a thing mm. wrong. Seem happy and working a good job and living on my own, making good money. But I was miserable and lonely. And I, it wasn't until years after that that I realized what it was that was causing mm. me to get to that point. And I just had this void. I didn't know who I was outside mm. of religion. And one of the things that I focus on with my clients is individuality and identity Mm, because religion strips us down so much. And it talks Mm -hmm. about, you got to be like Christ. They tell you what it is. They give you Mm. the, they tell you everything that's wrong with you. And then they tell you the solution. They strip you. You need to look like each other. You need to walk Mm. like each other. You need to talk like each other. That's how I know you're mine. That's how Mm. God knows that you are one of his because you're holy and you're set Mm, apart right so outside of that i struggled so much with my identity i didn't know who i was i knew that there were things that i wanted to do i wanted to be and i had to figure all of that out on my own and that is why i created religion and remission i was like if i can help somebody come away Mm. from their religion Mm. it's a very volatile journey if i can help people come away from their religion safely Mm. and really understand and find their identity understand that you've made a huge choice but guess what it's a it's an amazing time in your life Mm. it's gonna suck ass at point but it is also going to be extremely liberating and powerful Mm. i am i love what i do and i Mm. love when my clients get it right when they see that like oh man i never thought of it that way i never looked at it that way that makes Mm. so much sense hearing those things and understanding you have an identity and it is beautiful it doesn't matter what it is when i was i want to say i was probably like 15 16 i told my mom i was probably gay and she was she just cried and as i got older i knew that i wasn't gay by to embrace that part of myself too has become a part of my deconstruction as well I'm a married woman and my husband Mm. is well aware. Religion has a way of fantastically repressing everything Mm. beautiful about people. And so that is the deconstructive process. Not only are you deconstructing your religious journey, Mm. but you're deconstructing yourself. You're deconstructing who you are and building it back up to be the person that you are meant to be. Yes. I love that so much, most definitely, because when you're saying that, like, I think in s- such a visual way, but I imagine someone like removing the mask that was given to them, yes, taking it off and like looking at themselves 
in the <laughs> mirror and trying to like like meeting that person for the first time or trying to understand who that is. And so if you could talk a little bit about how you became a religious trauma coach and how and other ways how do you help clients? <laughs> That's a funny story. So <laughs> I was just came across a life coach. She was very nice and she wanted to talk to me. I told her about my life and my, she's like, Mary, you have a story. And I was like, mm. what? What are you talking about? She's like, I think you would make a great coach. I was like, I don't think so. <laughs> this is probably not for me because I had no idea what she, what the future held, what mm. I could tell. What the hell yeah. could I bring to the world? I always felt like I had nothing to offer because we spent mm. so much time being reduced you were nothing and compared to God and you just you use your gifts for the kingdom that's all that's it I didn't think I had much to offer the world I'd say probably about five years ago that I talked to her and last year I was like I think I want to be a coach when I went to look for a life coach for myself there was a lot of religious references there Mm. was a lot of like crystals and I'm not really into all of that so I thought about being like a non-sectarian coach. If people are looking for someone who doesn't subscribe to all of that and they Mm. just want a very neutral, objective point of view and they want help with that, like that. And then that, I met the woman who would go on to be my coach. And I knew that she was going to be my coach because she sparked something in me. Mm. And even though she was, she says she's spiritual, her the way she spoke, it triggered mm. something in me. And I, yeah. I just, you really got to niche down. You really need to find out what's, what your passion is. What can you talk about ad nauseum? What can you talk about all day long? Yeah. And I was like, religious trauma. That's what I can talk about. Yeah. I really have a passion for helping people with that and helping them to overcome that. Came back to her. I was like, I got it. <laughs> and it's been an intimidating journey, right? Because there, there are not a lot of religious trauma life coaches in the space. There are life coaches. There are people who deal with Mm. religious trauma. There are a lot of influencers who talk about religious trauma, just religious trauma life coaching is it's rare. I'm happy to do it. I'm happy to be a resource for people who need it because it, it's always, when I bring it up to people, it's always something where they're like, I didn't know that was something that I needed. When we leave the church, there's so many things left unanswered. Yes. <laughs> so yeah. many, obviously. And it's just, a lot of people just, they just are sad. They're not satisfied. Mm-hmm. But it's come to a place where I'm just never going to get that answer. I'm never going to understand yeah. it. And so being able to help provide some insight what advice do you have for people who are trapped in toxic religious environments? My advice is always to think about what you want for your life and see how it lines up with where you are. It's hard because being in religion, we know from personal experience mm. that you can't really tell us anything directly. We have to see it for ourselves. We have to come to that understanding yeah. for ourselves. Mm-hmm. So I always like to challenge people to think about what their ideal 
life would look like? And is your religion helping you to achieve that? Is it helping you to be the person that you want to be? Because see, religion is supposed to make you better. If it's not helping you to achieve that, if you are stuck in a toxic environment, if there's varying degrees of toxicity, right? So if it's Mm -hmm. dangerous, you definitely need to get out. But if it's something where you're emotionally tied, Mm -hmm. you have to start to unpack your happiness. Are you happy? That's the Mm -hmm. first question you need to ask yourself. What are you getting out of where you are? Those are questions we are afraid to ask ourselves Mm -hmm. when we're in religion because we know the answer already. Mm -hmm. And it goes against everything that we're being taught. That, that would be my advice. I don't like to tell people mm-hmm. to make these drastic, big changes. Yeah. Get out, mm-hmm. you know, because I can't live your life for you. I can't suffer the consequences of your decision for you, good mm-hmm. or bad. Think about where you are and mm-hmm. start to make the changes to have the life that you want. That's so great because there are so many different situations that people are in and there's so much nuance to it that people have to learn, which is a part of religious traumas that struggle with decision-making. Um, there are many other symptoms, but that's one of many that struggling to making decisions. And as we really get to the end of this interview, is there anything else you would like to say for people listening? Deconstruction is hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a lifelong journey. It's not something that you're just going to wake up and be like, I'm deconstructed. Just be patient with yourself. Give yourself time and, and be brave. It's funny because religion is, it's about being sheep to my mind, but Mm. deconstruction is not a path for the faint of heart. No, it's not. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for coming on the show. Mary, I've greatly enjoyed our conversation. Likewise, you're very welcome. And to anyone listening, I want to link her socials and her website. So please connect with her and reach out and thank you for everyone who's listening this was speaking up with andrew pledger thank you for listening to speaking up with andrew pledger your support is much appreciated please leave a review and share with friends and family and if you can please support me on patreon and the link is in my description thank you so much for listening to speaking up with andrew pledger